so if I say Christmas memories, immediately I'm guessing you have some that come to mind. Memories of things that have happened in the past, um, interesting stories from Christmas. I know for me, um, immediately, I think of a, of a time when I was a kid and, and, you know, my dad being a pastor, we were at Christmas Eve worship, and then we were driving back, and we were in northern Minnesota, up by Fargo, North Dakota, but on the Minnesota side, and there was a blizzard, and my older brother had to get out of the car and walk ahead of us for a while because we couldn't see the road because there was so much snow, you know, and now I have to imagine what a white Christmas is like. When is the last time we've had a white Christmas? Or, I don't know. It's been a while. But anyway, you know, so you think of, I think of things like that. My, my guess is you probably have some of your own, you know, memories that come up. But when you think about things that have happened on Christmas, there's some things that are memories, and it's just fun to think back to. But there are other things uh, that maybe, you know, are there things that have happened on Christmas that have made an impact and made a change, not just in your memories, but in your life today? That might be a harder one to think of, but there might be. There may be some. Some of them may be really positive. Some of them might be really negative. But today, the reason why we're here to celebrate is because something did, in fact, happen on this day that does change things. And it didn't just happen back then. It's not just a memory, but it actually changes things right now. And it's all about what God became this day. A lesson we have, it's John chapter 1, verse 14. It says, The Word became flesh, and made his dwelling among us. Now, this, wor- this verse being from the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John is a book written with a very specific purpose and style and intent, like all the, the, the books in Scripture are. But the Gospel of John is even somewhat unique, even within kind of its, its genre within Scripture. And there are genres within Scripture. The Gospel of John is one of the Gospels, the four accounts of Jesus' life and ministry. His is a bit different in style than the other three, than Matthew, Mark, and Luke, a bit different in, in emphasis. His purpose is very clear. He, he says it right in the book. It was written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and that by believing you may have life in his name. But what's interesting is the way that he, he strives to achieve that purpose is by giving us stories from Jesus' life and ministry, accounts from Jesus' life and ministry that include conversations and events that force you to really wrestle with, who is this guy? You know, is he just a guy? Is he just a person? Or something else going on here? When you look at what he says and in the context of what he does, and and it's really interesting to pay attention just how the book progresses and, and where he goes, John is really presenting Jesus in front of us and encouraging us to question, who is he really? Is he just a man or is he more? And John is, is presenting very clearly for us that Jesus is more, that he's the new temple, that he is God in flesh, that he is God connected now with humanity because God is now a person. And he became that person at Christmas. The way he introduces this idea, this concept to us, is by using this word, word. In our text, in our lesson, it says the word became flesh. He, he starts using the word, word, uh, back in verses 1 to 2, when it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The word, word here is it's describing, it's referring to the eternal Son of God, which is getting us into the very complex and beyond our understanding reality of the fact 
that God is, is triune, is what we call it. He's Trinity. He's, he's three persons, one united God. Three distinct, unique persons, and yet one God. How does that work? I don't know. I cannot wrap my head around that. Um, it's interesting to lean into it sometimes for a while until your brain hurts and then kind of back off, you know. Um, but it's just one of those just amazing things. And here it's talking about the eternal word of God. But when it uses the word word, and it's this Greek word logos, and so I'm guessing you maybe have heard that before. It's actually where we get our modern, our English word logical from, or logic comes from this idea. It's describing the expression of one's thoughts or ideas their will or their plan. That's what it's referring to. There's another word in the original language here that's just for like the sound that you, well, you, you, you sounded something. You, you, you said a word, you uttered it. This, is, this word is more than that. It's describing the expressing, the expression of an idea, an expression of someone's thoughts, their purpose, their will. It's kind of like, so you have something in your head, but then it takes this next step. It goes into the word. But then the word in Scripture God's word isn't just an expression of an idea. It actually then accomplishes that idea. Because if you go through and you, especially when you look at the Old Testament, you, you see the word of God, it does stuff. You know, like I can say, um, may it not be, how, how cold was it this morning? I could go out and say, let it be warmer than seven degrees and nothing happens, right? The word of God is the exact opposite. God says, God says whatever he wants it to be, and it, it does. God said, let there be in the beginning, and boom, everything is created. The word of God does stuff. It accomplishes things. So the word of God is really, it's the expression of God's idea of the Father's mind, of the Father's purpose. His thoughts expressed in a way where they then do things. So in other words, the word of God accomplishes the mind of God, the ideas of God. The eternal son is the expression of the mind of God, which then does what God wants to do. And in our lesson, we're told that the word became flesh. So the eternal son of God who is the expression of the mind of God, which then accomplishes the purposes of God, the eternal word of God, son of God, became a person. This is one of those things that we celebrate every Christmas. We talk about all the time. I grew up in a church, and this is one of those things, yeah, God became a person. And so we could kind of get familiar with this, but man, we need every year to just lean back into this a bit because the, 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 the reality that God could become a person is just mind-blowing. that silent night when the stars turned their gaze to marvel at the earth when the heavens gathered breathless round a lowly stable when a young mother wept tears of worship falling on the baby in her arms and the song of the earth arose in Bethlehem soft as the tender beating of his heart and all was calm all was bright 
Yet could this be the same God of Abraham, the conqueror of Israel? This baby, this fragile life. Is this child the one who burned his name in rapture across the gasping skies? Whose voice spoke the oceans into crashing rhythms? Who crafted the mountains into guardians of the firmament? Whose hand ignited the thirst of the deserts and the warring surge of the elemental hosts? Who breathed life from dust? Broke the oppressor's rule? Scattered the chains of his people like sand? And led them through the wilderness with the pillar of flame? Is this child the one whose presence billowed thunderous on Sinai's peak? Who surrounded Job with the roaring wind? Stood defiant in the raging furnace? Wrote judgment against tyrants and blazed on the lips of the prophets? Scorching history's pages with the fury of his might? Could this be the same God who chose to come as the vulnerable king? setting his throne on straw and manger, drawing forth the tears of shepherds, receiving the gifts of wandering travelers, his fame unknown in this world. He is Jesus, the one who thunders through the heavens, yet whispers to our hearts, who reigns victorious, yet bows to serve the broken. He is God in the fury, God in the silence. He holds this mystery balanced in his hands, holds our questions till they lose their need, until all we see is him. Now that video, it gets our thoughts going, but I mean, you could just take, it just scratches the surface. You can just go so much deeper and just what, what it means. I mean, I like to, so I first started doing this when I was in high school, when I was, uh, I was, I worked three summers on a mink farm, um, which is a really terrible job, um, by the way. Like, if you really want to encourage someone to like, you know, learn the meaning of hard work, like have a teenager work on a mink farm. But anyway, I'd be there, and I spent, anybody else, is anyone in familiarity with a mink farm? I don't know, maybe, okay. Um, but anyway, I, the, probably the worst part of it for me was they would, and I'm, you know, I'm this really social person, and, and they would say, all right, Nate, this is your job. There's, you know, 35,000 minks, so when you get done with this job in two weeks, come and ask me what I should do next. So I just spend all day just me and these stinky biting mink, you know, just, right? So I would ponder the greater things of life, and I would ponder things like eternity and stuff, right? And, and I would, and I, don't know if, I don't know if most 16-year-olds do that, but I did that. This is the kind of thing that I did, and then I'd get bit, and then I'd get snapped back to reality. But in the meantime, I would ponder what, just eternity or just how, like, the universe to go and go and go. And, I mean, I came to realize that eternity is one of those things that that I cannot wrap my head around, and yet it has to be real, because, like, I cannot imagine not being a beginning, how something can go on and on. I cannot get my head around that. And at the same time, I can't fathom things ending. You know, because, like, if there was a, a stopping point, well, like, in my mind, there would have to be something before that, and then something before that. Or, like, I think about the universe, like, things would have to go on, and, like, even if, let's say if the universe ended at a wall right here, there'd have to be something the other side of it in my mind. Right? I can't, there can't be nothing. There has to be more, always. 
And so it's this thing, like eternity has to be more, there has to be more of the universe, even though I cannot wrap my head around it. And what we talk about today is that the God who is that eternal, who is more, 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 and more, who is above time and space, at a point in time entered space, well, entered a womb, and became a baby. You know, like the God who is above time at a point in time became a person. The God who is above all things and created all things became part of his creation. I mean, it's just, like I said, think about it till your brain hurts and then go eat Christmas dinner. You know, like, go, it's just one of those amazing things. And, and it's amazing as it is to consider what God did and, and, and how God did it. It's even more amazing or maybe just as amazing to consider why he did it and what he came to do. I mean, why did the eternal Son of God become a person in the man Jesus? Well, our lesson it says that he, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And the word dwelling, it literally means to set up a tent. A way you could translate it would actually be that he tabernacled amongst us. And the word tabernacle, if you think of your Old Testament, should light up a connection here because the tabernacle in the Old Testament is the most famous tent in the history of the world. The tabernacle was that tent that God had his people set up so that he could come, you know, that big powerful presence in the Old Testament, the big pillar of cloud that would lead during the day, the pillar of fire that would lead at night, would come and rest over this holy place in the tabernacle. And then the people can know that God dwelled among them in their midst at that holy place. And that God was with them, that God was for them. And because of what took place in that tabernacle, they could be confident, they could be reminded that they were on good terms with God, that God had made promises to bless the whole world through them. The tabernacle was this incredible peace for knowing that God was with them and that they were partnering with God as his people. But part of the tabernacle and part of what took place in there was something we talked about actually quite a bit a couple of weeks ago when we talked about how Jesus was the greater priest. In Cottage Grove, we had this graphic here with the door, with kind of the entering habit. Uh, I shared the message there. Pastor Krause was, uh, was here. and We talked about that function of the, the priests, how they would go into this holy place. But do you remember what it was? What was the key thing that they had to do when they, when they went there? What did they bring into the holy place? Remember? Sacrifices. They had to bring sacrifices there, first for their own sins and then for the sins of the people. They got to cleanse it and, and to have there to be justice, for there to be a holy place where they can meet with God. Jesus is that greater priest because he didn't have to bring a, his own sacrifice because he's perfect. He is the sacrifice. He's the one who lives forever and so on. We don't need to go back through that all today. If you want to review it, those sermons are always on the website and on the app. You can go back and, or on the podcast. You can check them out that way. But the important note for us today is that they needed sacrifice to have this presence with God, to have this assurance with God. Why? They needed sacrifice because people had turned away from God, broke God's world, and instead of doing things God's way, people began to do things our own way. And really, naturally, we actually live and act as enemies of God. And one of the things we talked about 
uh, some during that, that the, the greater series, and we talked about it when we talked about the, the greater prophet, was that, you know, the, the big power of God is amazing if you know God is on your side. But when you see a big, powerful God who thunders in the heavens and everything, and you think you might not be right with him, he is terrifying. Because what if I, what am I going to, how do I stand up to this big, powerful, like if I'm, you know, if I'm not right with him, this is a very scary situation. And you see that right away from when sin came into the world, Adam and Eve, they, they actually hid from the goodness of God. They were scared about the goodness of God and, and, and fearful. Uh, and then we see as they, 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 they hid from God, as they started doing things their own way, this world became the broken place that it is. And eventually they're, they're cast out of the presence of God and, and it's all a mess. And so there needed to be sacrifice in order for the people to come into God's presence in the temple and for them to know God dwelled with. But you know, Adam and Eve and the first people and every person who's ever born into this world besides Jesus since then, we naturally, we don't, we don't live in God's presence or we don't go into God's presence. We don't do things God's way. Adam and Eve threw away being there with God and they threw out this incredible calling we had to be in his presence, to partner with him, to know this goodness and this grace. They threw that away. But even though we don't naturally act in a way where we live with God, God today decided to become a person so he could still dwell with us. Just, just, just think about that. Adam and Eve, in the beginning, they, they, they could dwell with God. They threw that away. They, they, they turned against God. They hid from God. Eventually, they're out of the garden. They, they, they threw away dwelling with God. But God, at Christmas, said, okay, if you're not going to dwell with me in a perfect world, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to dwell with you in an imperfect world. He became flesh he became a person because the eternal mind and purpose of God is to dwell with us. And if we weren't going to dwell with him in a perfect world, well, he entered this broken world. He entered the broken situation that Adam and Eve created and went into. And he entered the broken situation that would continue to plague the world afterwards. You go through the Christmas story and there's reminders all over the place that Jesus was born into a broken, broken world world. I mean, he was born into a time that when Mary um, became pregnant, the first assumption of Joseph is that she is, was unfaithful. And you don't blame him. I mean, if you listen, I don't know if you listen to the Christmas Walk podcast that uh, I shared last week, but I, I mentioned in there, yeah, like if, uh, if, if my fiance came to me and said, I'm pregnant, but it's, I, didn't, I wasn't unfaithful. It was God put the baby here. I'd be like, I am engaged to a crazy lady. You know, like, all right, yeah, you know, like, who says that, right? Like, but that's the broken world we're in, though, because you just, you assume, well, someone had to be unfaithful. We don't assume it's from God. And then you think about the whole story of her having to, to journey, you know, as a pregnant woman to go to this, this town for this, this census, which, by the way, the whole reason why there's a census is because there's an, a, a, a hostile uh, governing nation over them, the Romans, who's making this whole happen anyways, but that's a whole side story. They get there, there's no room for them to stay, and they end up having to have the baby by animals. I mean, and just 
this whole scene is just all about it. Just, there's, there's just difficulty all over the place. There's the fact that, you know, when the wise men come, Herod is jealous. He's concerned about this, this, this child. And so he plans to kill the child. And when he finds out that, that they, they, the wise men didn't tell him where the baby was, he actually sends out it has all these little babies killed. I mean, at, or, uh, Mary and Joseph having to take Jesus to Egypt. I mean, the whole story is just reminders all over the place that God came to be with us in a broken world. And though we threw away living with him in a perfect world, he came to live with us in a broken world. You and I, I mean, sometimes we can look around the world, maybe especially this year, and we can, anyone ever felt this year, this thought go through your mind, what in the world is going on? I know I have, like, for, at various times, what is going on in the world? Like, it's just, man, things just seem upside down and broken and messy. And it's right in this world that God came to live. God says, you know what? My mind, my eternal mind, my thought is that I want to dwell with you, so I'm going to come to you and I'm going to be in your world. And I'm going to be here with you. And I'm going to become one of you. That's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to be born a baby. He became flesh, which it was a couple weeks ago when I was out hunting that I was thinking about Christmas and then what should I preach on Christmas morning? That I kind of got off of that topic and I was just was thinking about God and how he relates to us. And all of a sudden, I had this incredible comfort that I experienced when I realized, when I remembered, that God knows what we're going through, not just because he's all-knowing. He knows what it's like to live in this world because he lived in this world. You know, like it's one thing to have someone just like, yeah, I get you, but when they go through the same thing as you, it's different, Right? Jesus knows what it's like to live in this broken world because he lived in this broken world. And Jesus knows what it's like to be human because he is human. Like your God, God the Son, is fully human. I mean, so if you're sitting next to someone who is of your household, go ahead and reach out and pinch them. If you're not, you know, keep your distance. Just imagine, you know, pinch somebody when you get home, Okay. Like, he is as real and as human right now as the person sitting next to you. I mean, he entered into this world and he became one of us. He's one of you. He, he, he gets it. Now, my skeptical brain will regularly go, okay, yeah, he gets it. But you know what? The thing that I think I struggle with the most living in this world is not just, just being in a broken world. I think the thing that I struggle with the most is my own sinfulness and my own sinful struggle. And I, and I think, oh, well, Jesus doesn't get that. Well, okay, no, he doesn't, he's not sinful, but he fought temptation, and when he went to the cross, he experienced and he took all the guilt and the shame that comes from sin. And so actually, better than we probably even realize it, he gets what it's like to be sinful. Not because he was sinful, but because he took our sin. He gets it. He is right here. Your God became one of us. And he became sin for us. I mean, he gets it. But he didn't just become a person so he could say, okay, now I know what it's like to live in a broken world. That comfort only goes so far. Like, it's nice to know that somebody knows what it's like to hurt like you do. But there's another, but okay, but then we're still hurting. 
Here's the thing is he absorbed all of our sin and he took all the shame and all the guilt, not just so that God would come and dwell with people, but so that people can now again dwell with him. Because he took our sin, because he took our shame, all of it, all the justice, all the power of it was spent on him. There's nothing, that's what separated us from God. None of that's left to separate us from him anymore. It's all removed. Which means this whole ability to be able to live with God, not just to have him live with you in a broken world, but to know that you can live with him forever and that you can have life with him now, this is restored. In a new and deeper way, what happened today? What became that day? When, when, when God became flesh, when God became a person, God and people in a whole new way were united. God always, the, the plan, the idea of God was that he wanted to dwell with people and have people rule the world with him in his image. Now in, in a next level way, the ideas of God from all eternity have become realized, have become expressed and have happened. Because God became a person to make that happen. And because God united himself to us and us with him. If God the Son is a person, then you and I can be assured that people like us, through faith in that person, can also be united with God. There is this, this union that has happened in Christmas. These two that were distinct and separate are now united, are now one. God and a person. So that God and humanity could be united. What became this day? God became one of us. So that we could become united with him. That's what this day is about. The union of God and flesh. The union of God and humanity of God and people. Let's ponder the depths of the fancy word for this is the incarnation. Ponder what it means that God became flesh, that God became one of us so we could become connected to him all because of what he became that day.